passion for God and compassion for our neighbor, reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. So while our hearts uh, sort of stop with the idea of thankfulness, and we focused on thankfulness this past week, now our hearts begin to turn to the idea of the coming of your Son and understanding the greatness of what you have done for us by sending your Son, Jesus. I ask that you would help me as I teach this morning to be able to teach about that well. Help us as we examine your Word to be able to understand your Word and especially as we look at the Christmas story we've seen so many times before. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, good to have you. Uh, hopefully you guys, as I said, hopefully you had a good Thanksgiving. It really is hard for me to believe that the Christmas season is already here. It does not feel cold enough for Christmas. True? I mean, this past Friday and Saturday, my daughter was home. She's running around the house. She's putting the tree up, doing the ornaments. I'm like, I can't, we're Christmas. It's already here. So we're enjoying that, and hopefully you guys had some fun uh, with getting ready for the holidays this past weekend. As I mentioned, we are beginning a Christmas series called One-on-One -on -One with Christmas. And in this series, we're going to go one-on-one -on -one with the different characters of the Christmas story. Um, pastor Chris, our, our, our student ministries pastor, he's going to go one-on-one -on -one with the shepherds, teach us about them one week in this series. Pastor Stephen, who's our student ministries pastor from our other campus, he'll be up here going one-on-one -on -one with the wise men, telling us a little bit more about them. Pastor Jordan from our Spencer campus will also be up here in the upcoming week going one-on-one -on -one with Mary, teaching us about her. And I'm here to go one-on-one -on -one with Joseph, the guy that nobody ever talks about. And that'll be doing that today. Then on Christmas Eve, by the way, it'll be one-on-one -on -one with Jesus, which is sort of the main event of the whole story. Now, Joseph is a guy who's pretty much ignored in all the Christmas stories, and in the sense that nobody really talks much about Joseph. I thought to myself, like, when was the last time I ever heard a sermon on Joseph? I mean, when was the last time you, had an, you heard one? No idea. Like, nobody ever does one. And there's a decent reason for that, is because the Bible really doesn't tell us much about Joseph. But um, sort of like Star Trek, I boldly like to go where no man has gone before. And we're going to look at Joseph a little bit, and we're going to try and see if we can get an entire sermon out about him. Now let's just begin with a little bit of background on this guy. And if you have your outlines, uh, go ahead and take those out. And if you're new, by the way, I encourage you to take out your sermon outlines. We use those a lot here at Crosswinds with fill in the blanks. So some quick background notes on him. Joseph was a carpenter. We know that. Now that means he was a blue-collar worker. So all you guys who work with your hands for a living, you can relate to Joseph. Give you a little extra background on that. Uh, why we always hear he was a carpenter, the Greek word that is used behind this, that it comes out of is the Greek word tekton. And it means a worker in hard substances. So it's used either to refer to a carpenter, but it can also be used to refer to a stonemason. So Joseph worked with his hands, uh, maybe he built furniture, maybe he built houses, maybe he also laid the foundation for the house. That's all possible. Interestingly, we know that 
at this time when Jesus was born, about an hour's walk away from um, Nazareth was the Roman town Sephorus, which was being rebuilt by the Romans, and it was being rebuilt in stone. So it is quite possible that like many blue-collar workers, Joseph had an hour commute to and from work each day if he walked to Sephorus and then worked there as a stonemason, which is very legitimate for what the text says about his profession. But after Jesus' birth and early years, really we don't hear much about Joseph. We do hear a little bit about um, Joseph just right before Jesus' teen years, and we learn that the last time we hear from Joseph was when Jesus was about 12 years old. That's because we know that Joseph, it says, always took his family to the Passover in Jerusalem. And after that, Joseph just disappears from the scene. Mary doesn't disappear. She shows up again. Joseph is gone. And you wonder why Joseph disappears. And here's what I put down for you. Joseph most likely died before Jesus' ministry began. And here's why we say that. When Jesus was dying on the cross, in John chapter 19, verse 26, Jesus looks over to the apostle John, and he says about his mother, he says, you know, I, I, I'm entrusting my mother into your care. And you think, well, that sounds nice, except normally... Mary would have been under Joseph's care unless Joseph was no longer alive, in which case Jesus, as the firstborn son, would have had the responsibility to care for his mother. And then on the cross, Joseph entrusts the care of his mother to, to John. So apparently that's what happened. We don't know that definitively, but that seems like a pretty good educated guess. But while the Bible does not tell us much about Joseph, and we simply see that he was an ordinary guy, what we do know about him is he was a very godly guy. While people overlooked Joseph in society, God did not overlook Joseph. Just as God chose Mary to be Jesus' mother, God intentionally chose Joseph to be Jesus' foster father. So while Joseph was an ordinary guy who flies under the radar, apparently he was a very notable guy because God took note of his life. That is why I believe that even though the Bible doesn't tell us much about Joseph, he is worth studying because he was chosen by God to be Jesus's foster father which means there's got to be some amazing qualities about him that we can seem to unearth as we look at the text. And that's what we're going to do. Incidentally, the Bible gives us two accounts of Jesus' birth. The one account is in the Gospel of Luke that gives us the account of Jesus' birth from Mary's side of things. Jesus' birth is also found in the Gospel of Matthew which interestingly gives us the account of Jesus' birth from Joseph's side of things. So we're going to be looking at the account of Jesus' birth in Matthew through Joseph's side of things with a special focus on Joseph and his character. And that's the text that Andrew and Rachel read for us this morning on the video. 
Now, as we look at the Christmas story with a special focus on Joseph, what we're going to see is that for, G for Joseph to bring Jesus into his life at that first Christmas, it took a lot of courage. It did. By the way, nothing has changed. Just as it took Joseph a lot of courage to have Jesus into his life and that first Christmas, it will take great courage for you to have Jesus in your life this Christmas. Jesus does not come into our life without a cost. We have to have the courage to pay it. Now, what does this courage look like that we have to have? Let's put our finger in the text and let's find out about the courage in Joseph's life. Let's begin here. We find in verse 18, which is our first piece of the text, Mary had an unexpected change of plans. We know this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now from the Gospel of Luke, which we know is the account of Jesus' birth through Mary's side, we know the backstory and a greater explanation of what took place here. That the angel Gabriel had come to Mary, had visited her, had greeted her, said she was highly favored in the Lord's eyes, told her she would conceive and have a son. And that was quite shocking. I mean, look what it says here, looking at Luke. It says, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, Well, how will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born to you will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, we've read these verses for many years, and so the impact of them don't strike us in the way it should. We need to understand how old Mary was when she would have been wed to Joseph. She would have been in the neighborhood of 12 to 14 years old. Imagine having an angel appear into her life between the ages of 12 to 14 and then tell her she was going to be pregnant. She was going to have to go home and tell her parents she was pregnant. Oh, pregnant by the Holy Spirit, Mom and Dad. My daughter came home and tried that one. I wouldn't believe her. And then going to her fiancé, the husband that she is engaged to, and said, oh, by the way, I'm pregnant. You're not the father. <laughs> pregnant by the Holy Spirit, Joseph. That would not go over well. This was very upsetting in Mary's life. This completely changed her plans for her life. This completely rocked her world. Put yourself in the shoes of a 12 to 14-year-old girl, which is when the, uh, she would have been getting married at this stage of her life. 
talk about apple cart upset. But this is what I love about Mary. I love this. Look at her response to God in this moment. In verse 38, Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Even though God completely flips Mary's world upside down, completely changes her plans, completely ruins Mary's life in one sense, she doesn't argue with God at this point, does she? I love this. She says, you know what? All I am in my life is I'm here to be a servant of God. God, whatever way you want to use me, even if it's a change of my plans, even if it ruins my life, that's okay. I'm here to be used by you, and that is all that matters. I'm here to be your servant. Even if what you call me to do is hard, even if it means my whole life is upset, that's okay. Now let's pause and think about this. How do we react when God changes our plans? When he changes our plans suddenly? When he changes our plans unexpectedly? Are we willing to say, God, you know what is going on in my life. When you change my plans right now, I'm okay with that. I'm just your servant. I'm willing to be used by you in any way you want me to be used right now, even if it upsets my life. Folks, I guarantee you, this holiday season, there will be some sudden and unexpected changes in your plans. It may be a small thing. It may be that just your relatives are late at arriving for dinner. It may be a big thing. You could find yourself with a diagnosis of cancer. You could find yourself unexpectedly losing a job. How will you react? God, you know what's going on in my life. You can come into my life and change my life any way you want. I am just a servant of you. Use me in any way you want. That's Mary. Now, there's another interesting piece of information here. This is a little bit more technical, but I think it's worth mentioning. In Matthew 1.18, where it says the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. That word birth in the Greek actually is the same word used in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, where it says this is the genealogy of Jesus. So it's the same word used to describe the genealogy of Jesus is in Greek is the same word used to describe the birth of Jesus. And by the way, this is important because Matthew 1, 1 through 17 gives the... Um, genealogy of Jesus or the origins of Jesus on the human side because it's a genealogy through David all the way down through Joseph. 
But then in Matthew 1.18, it gives the origin of Jesus from the divine side, that he is conceived by the Holy Spirit. So all of a sudden, you see Jesus is fully man on one side, and yet he's also completely God on the other side. Matthew is putting these together using very important pieces of language here in the very opening verses of his gospel. Now, Mary and Joseph, let me tell you about them. They would have been very young at this point. Joseph would have been older than Mary. I told you Mary typically, uh, people wed, women wedded at the age of 12 to 14 in that culture. Um, Joseph would have been in his late teens, early 20s, because they had to actually establish a trade to be able to provide for a family. And so that's what Joseph would have been, a little bit older to do this. This brings us to their, their engagement and their marriage. Let me tell you some background about that. As I have in your outline, there were two stages in a Jewish wedding. There's the Kedeshin period, which is known as the engagement. And there, there is what's called the chupa in, in Hebrew, which was the marriage ceremony. And the way to remember the difference is the chupa is when they really hoop it up. That's the week-long marriage ceremony, or, you know, marriage celebration. Easy to remember. Now, in the Kiddushin period, which is the engagement, two families got together and they drew up a legal contract for the wedding of their children. This engagement period typically lasted between 6 to 12 months, usually around 12 months. Interestingly, it's different than our engagement period in our culture because in their engagement period, the couple usually did not spend much time together at all. Now, why did they have a long engagement? Here's why. Because they had to save money for the wedding. Usually, the, the, the husband had to pay a dowry. And that dowry, the amount of money he had to pay, usually had to do with the kind of wife he was wearing. I mean, he may just have to give one lame chicken. That was it, you know? Uh, but usually he had to pay a lot more than that to get the woman of his dreams. The dowry served two purposes. One is it helped pay for the wedding, because you know that wedding celebration was a week-long celebration where you invited the whole neighborhood to party with you. That takes some cash. But the main part of the dowry, what that was used for, it was sort of a marriage insurance in that day. So the husband would pay the dowry, the bride's parents would keep the dowry, and then if something happened to their daughter in the marriage, like their, her husband died unexpectedly, or her husband divorced her, now there was some money set aside for her to fall back on in that time that her parents had saved from the dowry money. Uh, now, if the husband stayed faithful to his wife all the way through and her parents died, then he would get his dowry money back in the form of inheritance. So that's what would be going on. Then eventually, as I said, you got to the hoopa, which was the wedding ceremony itself, which was the week-long party. Joseph and Mary were in this kiddushin period the time where their parents had drawn up the contract for marriage, and um, they were legally married, even though they could not spend time together. Incidentally, to be, at this point, once you were engaged in the Kiddushin period, it, you legally had to divorce someone 
to be able to have this called off. All that Joseph knows is he's married legally in the Kiddushin period to Mary. Mary goes away to see a relative. She comes back pregnant, and he knows that he's not the father. So you can imagine Joseph's heart is broken at this point when Mary comes home pregnant. No matter what she says about the, she's pregnant with the Holy Spirit, Joseph is not going to believe her. Joseph's dreams of his wedding night are shattered. And this brings us to the next verse, verse 19. It says, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Here we find out a little window of insight into Joseph and his character. He is a just man. He is a good man. He takes his Bible seriously. He's very concerned with pleasing God. He wants to do the right thing. And he knows what the Bible says about a woman who was engaged to her husband and she's been unfaithful to him. And he knows it's not pretty what the Old Testament says should be done. Let me show you what it says in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 22, 23 through 24. If there is a betrothed virgin and a man meets her in the city and she lies and he lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of the city and you shall stone them to death with stones. Joseph knows that there were, technically Mary should be stoned to death for being unfaithful to him, which is what he would be thinking at this point. Just so you know, the Romans did not allow the Jews to carry this out. That didn't mean it didn't happen. Sometimes there's this thing called mob violence, where mobs get away with doing things they shouldn't do. This sometimes happened, where the Jews stoned people to death, even though they were in Rome. Now, since stoning her to death is not allowed by the Romans, there are two allowable options that could have taken place at this time. Number one, Joseph would bring Mary before a Jewish court to officially break off their marriage and declare that he was not the father of the child. This would have saved Joseph's reputation, but it would have ruined Mary's reputation. It would have ruined her family. It would have ruined her chances of ever getting married again. To do this publicly would have made Joseph look good by making Mary look bad. For him personally, that was the more attractive option because it made him look like even more of a righteous man. But there was one other option, and this is what he chose, which was to divorce her quietly. The two families would get together with witnesses, and they'd draw up a divorce papers. This did not publicly clear Joseph's name, but it also did not publicly shame Mary's name. So that's what Joseph in his mind has chosen to do, to take some of the shame, at least a little bit of it, upon himself. 
Now this brings us a little deeper into our study where we get into some of our applications. We've learned a little bit more of the background of Joseph and the problem that he's facing. And this is where we learn the answers to these questions. Why does it take courage to have Jesus in my life? We find the answers to this begin in verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Joseph is considering these things. In other words, he's constantly thinking about these things. Would you be any different? If your fiancé came home pregnant before your wedding night, you'd be in turmoil. I'd be in turmoil. I picture he's laying in bed and his mind's going a million miles a minute all over the place. And in the midst of this, he falls asleep. And just as God interjected himself into Mary's life to change her plans, God inter inter interjects himself into Joseph's life to change his plans. An angel says to Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. We've learned that Joseph was a righteous man, but here we learn that up to this point, Joseph was actually a cowardly man. He was afraid to take baby Jesus and Mary into his life. Here's our first lesson why. If I'm going to have Jesus in my life, I must have the courage to be shamed for Jesus. If I'm going to have Jesus in my life, I must have the courage to be shamed for Jesus. Up to this point in Joseph's life, even though he was a poor man, even though he was a hard-working man, he was a righteous man, he had a good reputation. But all of this was about to change. Because if Joseph takes Mary into his life, if Joseph marries or weds Mary, all the small-town gossips are going to assume who's the father. Joseph was. They're going to assume that Joseph and Mary were not chased before their wedding night. And that's where Jesus came from. That all the people that are now laughing at Mary are going to start to laugh at him. All the people that are mocking Mary are going to start to mock him. So for Joseph to take Jesus into his life, he needs the courage to ruin his reputation. The courage to take on all the disgrace that Mary has, all the shame that Mary has. Remember, the only way for him to save his reputation is to divorce her. If he divorces her in a public way, he saves his reputation the most. But he was going to divorce her in a private way to take a little bit of that shame onto him. But marrying her would really lose his reputation. Now you think, well, this really, will it stick with Joseph? Will people remember, like, years down the road that Jesus was conceived before Mary and Joseph were wed? Oh, yeah. In that small town, 
amongst those self-righteous people, they wouldn't let him forget it. Nobody would let Joseph and Mary and Jesus forget it. Thirty years later, in Jesus' ministry, look at the dig they have on, on Jesus. Jesus says this, You are doing the works of your Father. This comes from John 8, 41. And they said to him, Well, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one Father, even God. Jesus, you were conceived out of an immoral relationship. Thirty years later, they're still digging him on this. So, nothing has changed. If you want to have Jesus in your life, Folks, you have to be willing to let Jesus change your plans. If you want to have Jesus in your life, you need to be willing to be laughed at for him. You need to be willing to be mocked for him. You need to be willing to lose your reputation for him, just like Jesus, or just like Joseph did. Now, folks, at Christmas time, so many people like to talk about Jesus but I'm actually not too sure if they're Christians or not. I'm not sure if they have Jesus in their life because while they're happy to talk about Jesus, they're never willing to be ashamed and lose their reputation to stand up for Jesus. Isn't that true? A lot of people talk about Jesus, but when it comes to their reputation, when it comes to their social media, when it comes to who they are in the eyes of others, they would never suffer shame. They would never want to be mocked, especially for Jesus. But that's sort of the definition of what it means to be a Christian, isn't it? To have Jesus in your life, you have to be willing to be mocked by him. Now, before we get too discouraged on this topic, though, I want you to think of it this way. There's a benefit to be willing to lose your reputation. There's a benefit to be willing to be shamed for having Jesus in your life. Those people that were the small town gossips in Nazareth who laughed at Mary, who mocked Joseph, does anybody know their name today? No. Were they used in a significant way by Christ and his kingdom? Nope, exactly. Mary and Joseph were. Folks, if we are willing to be mocked for Jesus, to take Jesus into our life, I guarantee you that God will use you in a way that is of significance for Christ and his kingdom. What a benefit to make a lasting difference in this world. Your name may not be in print, but God knows your name because of you stood for him. Let's go to the next verse. We'll learn some more about jo Joseph's courage. Verse 21. The angel said to Joseph, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. So the first point we learned is if you're going to have Jesus in your life, you need to be willing to be mocked for him. Here's the second point. If I'm going to have Jesus in my life, I need to have the courage to let Jesus be in control. The Bible really clearly tells us that Joseph was Jesus' foster father, not biological father. Joseph did not get to name Jesus. You notice that? 
because Joseph was not in charge of Jesus. Jesus was the one who was actually in charge of Joseph. Jesus is the one who would die for Joseph's sins. You know, when you name something, you name it because you are actually in charge of it. That's why when you have children, you get to name your children. You create children, you get to name your children. Elon Musk, he creates Tesla, he gets to name Tesla. Mary and Joseph, Jesus comes along, you don't get to name him. We're going to tell you what his name is. It is Jesus. Just recognize his name. Today, lots of people talk about being Christians, but they do not want Jesus to be in control of their life. They do not want Jesus to be in charge of their life. They want to be in charge of their own life. They want to be in charge of their own habits. They want to be in charge of their own fun. Technically, they're cowards. They're afraid to put Jesus in charge. They need courage to put Jesus in control of their life. And I want to ask you, is that you this morning? Are you here this morning holding Jesus at arm's length because you want to be in control of your life? You don't want Jesus to be in control of your life. Now, I understand because right now there's a lot of <laughs> frustration with those in authority over us, especially in our government right now. We all know that. I don't trust the government as I always hear from people. I don't want anybody in control of me. I get it. But Jesus, my friends, is completely different. Why? Jesus came, it says, to save his people, that's you and me, from their sins. Jesus did not come to oppress us, folks. He came to save us. He didn't come to use us. He came to die for us. Jesus didn't come to keep us from God. He loves you. He came to make a way to bring you back to God. Jesus loves you so much, he came to die for you. We can trust him. If there's anybody who you can trust to be in control, give control of your life to, it would be Jesus. Nobody would be better. If you haven't asked Jesus to be in control of your life, I want to challenge you today, before you leave this room, right here, right now, say to God, God, I give Jesus the right to be in control of me. I have the courage to take the hands off the steering wheel of my life and let Jesus be in charge. For Joseph to have Jesus in his life for that first Christmas, he had to be courageous and say, Jesus is in charge of me. I'm not in charge of him. I don't get to name him. For, his, for you to have Jesus in your life this Christmas, you have to do the same thing. You have to say, it's not about what I want. It's not about where I'm going to go, what I'm going to do. Jesus, hands up. You're in charge and I can trust you to be in control of my life. That's the only way to become a Christian. That jumps us down to verses 24 through 25. 
And it says, When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. So we've seen so far that for Joseph needed courage to have Jesus in his life. He had to be able to be shamed by Jesus, shamed to have Jesus in his life. He needed the courage to let Jesus be in control. And here we find another thing. If I'm going to have Jesus in my life, I need the courage to actually obey God's words, even when they are hard. This is one thing, as I studied Joseph this past week, that I really loved about him. He obeys God's words quickly. He obeys God's words responsively, even when they are hard. He does it without delay. And the Bible clearly says that each time he does this, he seems to fulfill prophecy. See, it says when Joseph woke up from his sleep, he took Mary as his wife. How long did he wait? Like two more weeks, two more months? Nope. He woke up from his sleep and immediately took Mary as his wife. This says it was to fulfill prophecy. It says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us, which is actually from Isaiah 7:14. Emmanuel means God with us. It's not a title. It's actually a description. Now, this idea that Joseph obeys God's word, and he courageously does it, even when it's hard, is not just here. It shows up again and again. It's one of these character qualities of Joseph. He's a very courageous man that when he knows what God wants him to do, he immediately does it. Every time. For instance, you go a little further into Matthew. It says this, Now when they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Now this takes place immediately after the visit of the wise men. Just so you know, uh, they had left Nazareth, small town place. They had gone to Bethlehem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. It seems that Mary and Joseph actually stayed for a while in Bethlehem, did not return to Nazareth because the wise men show up in Bethlehem. Just so you know, by the way, the wise men do not show up on the night Jesus is born. The shepherds show up on the night Jesus is born. The wise men do not. They show up about a year later after he was born. Look what it says in Matthew 2.11 about these um, wise men. It says, going into the house, they saw the child with, his, with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. He was born in a stable. When the wise men come, where is he at now? The house. So they had 
purchased or rented a house at this point. And it says the child with Mary, his mother. The Greek word there is very specific. It's toddler. This means Jesus at this point is old enough to walk. What do we got? A year, year and a half. One of my moms. So about that toddler, right? About a year. So that is when the wise men show up. So Joseph has set up business as a carpenter or a stonemason mason in Bethlehem. He's making ends meet for the family. He has all of his tools. He has a house. God tells him he needs to leave. And when does he do it? Immediately in the middle of the night, he drops everything, leaves his tools behind, leaves his livelihood behind, grabs Mary, grabs Jesus, and out the door they head. That's immediate obedience when it's really hard to do. Folks, that takes courage, doesn't it? Courage to obey God's word immediately when it's hard. Do you have that kind of courage? You know, God spoke to Joseph in a dream. But God speaks to us today from his word. Has it ever happened to you when you read God's word and all of a sudden God's very clearly speaking to you from it and what the Bible says clearly applies to your life and you know what God is calling to you and what do we like to do at that point? Delay push off, ignore. And why do we do that? Because we're cowards. We don't have the courage. The courage to obey and obey immediately. Yet, when you have Je to have Jesus in your life, you have to be able to obey immediately. A little happens again, by the way. A little bit later in Matthew. When Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Once again, God tells him to all of a sudden drop everything, drop your business, head back home, and he obeys it. Guys, how would you do if God told you to drop your business, drop your livelihood, and move someplace else? That's hard obedience. But he does it, and he fulfills Scripture. And interestingly, just another thought. He goes back to Nazareth, which is where Mary comes from. Nazareth, the place that Mary would have been mocked. The Nazareth, the place that everyone knew about Jesus' conception, that it was before Mary and Joseph were wed. In Bethlehem, they had a little break from that. Oh, but not in Nazareth. I think it's interesting because when um, Jesus grows up in Nazareth, then he goes out and does his ministry. And you remember this from the Gospel of Mark when we studied through it. 
Jesus comes back to Nazareth and doesn't end up doing very many miracles there. Because what do they say? He is just the carpenter's son. In fact, in Mark, we see that they bring him to the brow of the hill to throw Jesus over the edge of the hill to kill him. And Jesus stops them and walks right through. Talk about a loving community to grow up in. But that is where God directed Joseph to raise him. And Joseph obeyed him. So, let's sum up here. Conclusion on the back page. Asking Jesus into my life very clearly will take courage. It took courage for Joseph to have Jesus in his life. It'll take courage for us to have Jesus in our life. I must be willing to have the world laugh at me because of Jesus. Mary's shame had to become Joseph's shame, and he didn't deserve any of it. We have to have the same thing in our life. I must be willing to give up control of my life to let Jesus be in charge. Very clearly, Joseph wasn't in charge of Jesus. Jesus wasn't in charge of Joseph. It's the same thing for us today. And I must be willing to obey whatever God asks, even when it's hard, because he's in charge of our life. I have two other options here, things I thought about. Um, I'm not going to read the f- number two. I'm going to jump to number three, and then we'll pray. I thought this was good. What do Mary and Joseph teach us about what it means to become a Christian? You know, we're like Mary. We're helpless. We're rejected. We're full of shame. And we desperately need someone to save us. Jesus is like Joseph. Just as Joseph chose to give of his life to be Mary's earthly Savior, Jesus chose to give up his life to be our heavenly Savior. He died for our sin to bring us back to God. Hopefully that helps you understand a little more of what it means to be a Christian. That we need someone who will save us from our sins when we're helpless. Just as Joseph chose to save Mary in an earthly way, Jesus chose to save us and bring us back to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would help us to learn from Joseph that we need to be people who are courageous to have Jesus in our life. I ask that you would help us to not be ashamed of you, Jesus, and to be able to take whatever shame we have to to have you in our life. I ask, Heavenly Father, that you would help us also, that we would give up control of our life and let you, Jesus, be in charge. And I ask that you would help us to obey you from your word, even when it's hard. Thank you for these lessons that we've seen in Joseph's life and in Joseph's character. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us and may God continue to enrich your life.